welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. And today we have a double portion blessing because I have two special guests. But if you've listened to Carmelite Conversations podcasts before, you'll recognize these voices. Um, and before I introduce them, I would just like to say that the topic today is perfect for this second week of Lent. We're recording this on March 1st, 20. 23. And our discussion, I think, will help um, inspire and encourage us to continue this transformation and purification to grow in union with our Lord. We received a request to talk about the nada of St. John of the Cross and how it applies to the secular discalce Carmelite and family life. And so this podcast is put together with that request at heart. So now I'd like to introduce our um, very busy now deacon and used to be just a co-host, but now co-host deacon Mark Danis. Mark, welcome back. Hi, Francis. Great to be back with you. And I also have with us deacon Rusty Bodwin. Thank you, Rusty, for coming. Thank you, Francis. It's a joy to be here. Hey. Please forgive me if I, I slip up and call you by your first names because I know you guys both so personally, uh, but, but I'll, I know I should address you formally. And so thank you for this double portion blessing. Um, before we begin, though, as always, I'd like to start with an opening prayer. And so Deacon Baldwin, would you mind leading us in an opening prayer? Oh, I'd be very happy to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, as we come to you in our humility and our ignorance, Lord, help us to consider the teachings of your Saint John of the Cross. Lord, help us to learn the way of love, to transcend ourselves, to open ourselves up and empty ourselves that we may be filled with you. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Name the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. All right, so the first question is, what does the word nada mean? Do you want to take that, Mark, or shall I? No, no, I'll start, and then you'll you'll, uh, fill in whatever I may leave out, which will be a great deal, I'm sure. Um, Not, of course, means nothing, um, but... That's a much broader question in the context of John of the Cross's writings. What does not mean? Really, we're going to spend this entire conversation talking about that. Um, and unfortunately, is not what so many people confuse it to mean, uh, that all of a sudden their lives have to become miserable and they have to do without everything that's brought joy to them. <clears throat> that would be um, the negative side of it and, and a misinterpretation. It is, however, a rigorous and disciplined approach to the spiritual journey and an elimination of anything that might serve as an impediment to the flourishing of love within the human soul. And in our modern society, perhaps as much as any society in history, um, we are literally, I use this this term often, assaulted uh, by so many influences, by so many uh, negative uh, influences that distract us and can, in fact, um, draw us off course uh, from our spiritual path. And so John very deliberately and very, uh, uh, as I said, rigorously teaches this approach, uh, which he defines as nada, nothing. And we're going to explore that in greater detail, obviously, but uh, fundamentally, Uh, It is the elimination of those things that uh, distract us from the ultimate eternal destiny of the human soul, which is transformation into love. Deacon Baldwin, do you have anything to add to that? No, just a different uh, emphasis on that. I mean, Deacon Mark's absolutely right, but it's also there's an aspect to it of right ordering of things that are necessary. Uh, And so it's not nothing in the sense that, hey, this whole material world, this uh, cosmos that we live in is worthless and we need to just ignore it as much as possible. No, there's a right ordering of how we should appreciate God's gifts, but also appreciate that that's not our destiny, that our ultimate destiny 
is to God. And whereas the world emphasizes so much this, hey, pay attention to this, pay attention to that, uh, uh, this will make you happy. St. John of the Cross radically is trying to reorient us to say, no, not that, this. And in order to emphasize that radicalness, if you will, he goes the via negativa, if you will, the, the negative way, the way of nothing. In large part, uh, I think, at least in my own personal case, uh, to get my attention. <laughs> I mean, it really gets your attention to say, wait, hold it. This is new. This is different. Maybe I should look into this. Thank you. You know, I when I was thinking about this topic and I was approached to um, try to do a podcast on this topic, um, I was doing a search for nada, nada, nada. And I didn't see anything labeled that. Lots of mm. St. John of the Cross and what he's, what nada is entailed, what, what, what comprises this whole journey of nada. But um, I was like, but this word, if you're a Carmelite, you know that this word is associated with John of the Cross. Mm. And so to, to really focus in with that as, as our title and go from there, I think is very important. And so um, we know that St. John is, um, associated with this word, and you've both um, helped us to come to that understanding. So now um, let's turn our attention to the famous map. There's a map associated with St. John of the Cross. It's actually, um, you can see a, a copy of it online, or it's called the, the map of Mount Carmel. It's also in um, our resource for today, which is the Collected Works of St. John of the Cross. Um, it's an ICS publication, which is the version that we prefer. But on this map, there are three paths. And in the center um, is this nada, nada, nada seven times. So um, which one of you would like to start talking about this map for us? It's a famous map of Mount Carmel. Well, I'll jump in just a little bit uh, and then Mark can uh, fill in the gaps. Um, this map is basically telling us and showing us the way to Mount Carmel. And what's interesting to me about this map is it uh, has the way of the imperfect spirit. Uh, and along, and on, another, on the other side, in, uh, uh, on the opposite side of that nada, 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 is the way, is another part of the way of the imperfect spirit. One emphasizes heavenly things, the other emphasizes earthly things. And what's interesting is nowhere in here does John say these things are bad. And in fact, if you read them, and I'm going to read them to you, these are all good things. Even the earthly things uh, uh, are not necessarily bad. But what he's telling us in this uh, uh, map, if you will, to Mount Carmel is this isn't the way. Okay, but listen to some of these. The goods of heaven, glory, joy, knowledge, consolation, rest. What is bad about any of that? Well, those are all good things. Even the things of the earth, the goods of the earth, God created these, our possessions. And again, he repeats joy, knowledge, consolation, and rest. The point he's trying to make is when I grasp at these things, I essentially stop my journey. That's where I'm stopping. If this is, this can't be what satisfies me. I can't be satisfied with simply glory, joy, and knowledge. I want God himself. And so those are some of the things that immediately come to mind when I read and look at this. Uh, there's a lot more to this, obviously, but uh, but those are some of the things that he's trying to emphasize because he says, no, not the goods of the heaven, not the goods of the earth, not the possessions, not the glory. This isn't it. There's a better, there's a further, there's a higher way. Okay, Mark, what would you add to that? I would actually go back to what Deacon Rusty said at the beginning. It is a proper ordering. So in and of themselves, these things are not bad. It is the pursuit of them that is the distraction. It is the uh, possession of them and uh, resting in them with satisfaction that is the distraction. And that can serve to uh, either draw us off course or dissuade us uh, from continuing the journey. We can, we can lay hold to 
uh, a sufficient amount of the goods of earth, which we may very well see as God's blessing. And in fact, they would be. Uh, but if we rest in that and we're sufficiently satiated with that, then we can uh, be drawn off the uh, the deeper call to this intimacy, this transformation. All of these things in and of themselves are provisioned by God. That makes them good in and of themselves. But they are not uh, exclusively the way to God. And they can serve, as John emphasizes continuously, they can serve to um, bring us to uh, the end of the journey if we're satisfied in resting in possession of them. And so he uses these uh, various terminologies. Um, first, of course, in the middle column, there's nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, and then he talks about not desiring any of these and thereby possessing all of them, uh, not possessing them and yet uh, having everything provisioned to us. So it, it's complex language on one level, but really quite simple. There is nothing that will fulfill us uh, short of God himself. And all of these um, individual elements within this map may serve to guide and direct us and draw us deeper and even increase our desire for God, but they themselves are not God. And we can't uh, allow ourselves to either be distracted by them or rest in them in such a way that we fail to continue the journey. And to use, I'm sorry, to use a little bit of theological terminology, not difficult, but none of these are ends. And neither are they means. They are effects, if you will, of focusing on loving God. They come because of that, not through that, if you will. Well, I like to put it, focus on the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. Exactly. So if, we, if we attach ourselves to these gifts, we will not proceed to the top of Mount Carmel. And when we think of the top of Mount Carmel, you know, mountains are very uh, special in uh, scripture and they're always a, an indication of, of a heavenly manif manifestation. And here we're talking about union with God. So, um, well, thank you for that. So the ways of the imperfect on the side, if they attach to these goods of the earth or the goods of the spirit and the, the way of the perfect is in the center with the nada, 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 be attached to nothing. Only keep your eyes on God. All right. So now let's talk about um, which book of St. John of the Cross emphasizes this nada and maybe some quotes that give a taste for what this nada is like. All right. Deacon Baldwin, would you like to begin? Yeah, sure. There's, uh, you know, you can find this, by the way, in all of uh, St. John of the Cross writings. I mean, so he's constantly emphasizing this. But most specifically in the Ascent of Mount Carmel, book one, chapter 13, section six, he uh, talks about this specifically. Um, and let me just quote, uh, it's a, a rather lengthy quote, but it kind of serves to uh, emphasize what he's talking about. Endeavor to be inclined always, not to the easiest, but to the most difficult, not to the most delightful, but to the most distasteful not to the most gratifying, but to the less pleasant, not to what means rest for you, but to hard work, not to the consoling, but to the unconsoling, not to the most, but to the least, not to the highest and most precious, but to the lowest and most despised, not to wanting something, but to wanting nothing. Do not go about looking for the best of temporal things, but for the worst. And for Christ, desire to enter into complete nudity, emptiness, and poverty in everything in the world. Those are so wonderful for this Lenten season. If, mm -hmm. if someone out there has uh, fallen back from your um, spiritual um, exercises and you need some push take one of those and just practice that um uh, that will uh, do a lot to help um you purify your soul of your attachments um and we go on further um deacon danis would you like to continue that 
Um, yeah, I, I do want to emphasize, uh, and I was going to say, uh, pardon me, Francis, but sarcastically, uh, we probably don't have a number of people lining up at the door knocking for uh, the sign-up sheet to get in after that particular recitation. If you're not familiar with the language of John of the Cross and familiar with this theology, um, that is a bit off-putting, that we're always seeking the lowest and... and uh, um, it, it, it would appear uh, that life would not be particularly joyful in, in light of that. But again, we have to emphasize John is being intentionally dramatic, but he's also trying to help us understand the degree of not only our woundedness, that's true, but also the degree to which we have become conformed to the world. Wouldn't the world say exactly the opposite in every one of these lines? They would, of course. We're taught that every day. It's it, we're bombarded by it in our in our um, uh, media, in our entertainment, in sports, and in the arts, and so forth. Everything would be countered to this. And what we see in John of the Cross is a very courageous theologian helping us understand the degree to which we've been infected by the world's philosophy, by the world's way of um, thinking. And so he's trying to break us of that. And we should also emphasize when he's saying each of these things, he is not saying that we won't find joy in the way that we approach this. In fact, we will. He's, he's going to say in a moment that we'll find the greatest joy because we will be pursuing those things which are eternal um, and not um, those things which are both temporal and temporary. Uh, that's what, in fact, leads to um, disillusion with the human experience. But to continue where um, Deacon Rusty left off on, uh, again, book one of the Ascent, chapter 13, this is section 11. To reach satisfaction in all, desire satisfaction in nothing. To come to possess all, desire the possession of nothing. To arrive at being all, desire to be nothing. To come to the knowledge of all, desire the knowledge of nothing. To come to enjoy what you have not, you must go by a way in which you enjoy not. To come to the knowledge you have not, you must go by a way in which you know not. To come to the possession you have not, you must go by a way in which you possess not. To come to be what you are not, you must go by a way which you are not. Again, John is emphasizing here, ultimately, and we have to recognize, John is writing for people who are some way along in the journey. This is not for the novice, either in uh, the walls of a Carmel or those who may just be beginning the spiritual journey. So I, I caution our listeners in that regard. He is speaking to people who have made a very deliberate decision that they are now going to live for all. And what is all? That is God. They've made the decision that the world is no longer uh, going to serve as their tutor and teacher, but they're going to dispose themselves to the working of the Holy Spirit. So when he says that we will give up our possessions in order to have everything, what he means is that everything is provisioned by the Spirit and in the spiritual world. And we begin to think in the context of the eternal. Uh, but again, it takes um, some preparation, some reading, and a great deal of prayer to get to the point where we would understand, let alone accept, um, this theology. One other point before I turn it back to uh, Deacon Rusty, and I read this recently, I'm rereading a biography of um, a favorite saint of mine, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and it, uh, the author, a wonderful author, by the way, a, a Dominican reminds us very emphatically that our life, our human experience, is not provision to us to bring ourselves glory. We are here to bring glory to the Trinity, but we are members of Christ's body and therefore members of the Trinity. And as the Trinity acquires additional glory through each of our efforts, we to participate, and this is from St. Paul's letters themselves, we participate in that glory, but our disposition has to be one 
of increasing every day the glory of God and in this world of his church. Um, and this theology that we're discussing, this um, spirituality, lends itself to a, a conforming of our will perfectly to the will of God, which is what allows every thought, every word, every action of ours to participate in expanding the glory of the Trinity. Um, so that's what we're reaching for. It's perhaps appropriate that we we provide that encouragement um, as we go through what, what obviously on the surface uh, strikes us as a somewhat difficult method. And now when Deacon Mark mentions beginners or novices, he's talking about those who have turned toward the inward spiritual journey that are making serious effort to grow in their love of God and their love of neighbor. And so there's a lot of interior reflection, examination, effort, and also, um, of course, prayer and being receptive to how God is working in their souls and in their lives. And I'm so glad we're going over these famous quotes of St. John of the Cross, these councils, because you, you can often see a, a little meme or a little, uh, little poster like with these quotes on them. So I'm so glad that you're commenting on them. So the third section of those councils, I'm going to read it. And if Deacon Baldwin, if you would make a comment, um, this is also from the Ascent of Mount Carmel, the councils from book one, chapter 13, section 12. And it's entitled a method to avoid impeding the awe. Now, these three quotes that we've gone over, they all coalesce together with the same sentiment, right? So I'm going to read this quote and then let Deacon Baldwin um, comment. When you delay in something, you cease to rush toward the all. For to go from the all to the all, you must deny yourselves of all in all. And when you come to the possession of the all, you must possess it without wanting anything. Because if you desire to have something in all, your treasure in God is not purely your awe. You know, whenever I, I think of or read this portion of St. John of the Cross, it always reminds me of the phrase in the Gospels and in the New Testament, frankly, where it says that God may be all in all. Uh, and it just reminds me of that because that's really our focus. That's really what we should be desiring is to empty ourselves and possess that be eternal beatitude that God is calling us to. And he asks us to share in his divinity, not by grasping, not by conquering, if you will, not by possessing, but by dispossessing ourselves, if you will, of ourselves. And in that, we become who he wants us to be, his beloved spouse. And I think it's important. We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, knowledge and, and uh, knowing and, and uh, uh, nada, if you will. And I think it's important to emphasize that a lot of this, Mark mentioned, Deacon Mark mentioned life experience. A lot of this comes through suffering. The suffering that we experience in life is part of that life experience and that knowledge that brings us to understand that all that we want is in God and in nothing else. And so I think that that suffering and, and understanding just how we work through that in life is part of this experience that brings us to that receptivity that we're looking for. Kind of reminds me of St. Francis of Assisi when he was, my image of him is dancing around saying, you know, the birds are mine, the trees are mine, you know, the rocks are mine and, you know, everything is mine because he's in God, with God, seeing all around him through God and detached, receiving all from God, but being in God so that he, he's that rejoicing comes. And, you know, uh, uh, a saint is usually a very joyful person, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that St. Teresa of Avila tells us that, you know, Carmel's not the place for any gloomy saints. And, you know, you can see her with her tambourine dancing and everything. 
<laughs> so, well, thank you, um, both of you, for making those comments on those famous quotes um, and those councils. It's so important. Let's get into a, a little bit uh, about John of the Cross, because I think having an understanding of of some of his life experience might help us understand how he came to this idea um, of nada, nada, nada. Now, we ran across a paper by one of my favorite friars, um, Father Daniel Chowning, um, who wrote called, it's called Free to Love, Negation in the Doctrine of John of the Cross. And I think it's still available online for those of you who want to get into the details. It's really well written. Um, but, uh, his theology is expanded upon in that paper. So we're, we're going to go on a light version of that rather than going into those depths. And so, um, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, Deacon Baldwin, you could start with maybe your experience of, uh, John of the Cross. Well, I think my experience is like a lot of people. Uh, they hear about St. John of the Cross and the depths of his spirituality, uh, and they say, well, I want to read about this. This is wonderful. This is exactly what I'm looking for. And then they buy a book, maybe perhaps like the collected works of St. John of the Cross, a big, thick book, but that may be a little worrying for them. Uh, but they buy it anyway. This is what I did. And then I open it up. And I start reading. And then I get through three or four pages. And then I realize, yeah, I don't understand what I'm reading at all. Maybe I will someday and close the book and put it back on my shelf. You know, it wasn't uh, before I came into Carmel, I had had the Saint of uh, the Collected Works of St. John of the Cross on my shelf for 10 years before I came into Carmel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that's the experience of a lot of people. They're intrigued. They want to know and have that deep experience of God. But then when they read them, it's way too intimidating. Uh, and I don't know if you had the same experience, uh, Deacon Mark. Mine was almost exactly the same. I had the collected works a number of years. I did attempt to read it when I first purchased it. Um, which was probably on the order of about a decade, maybe a, a, a dozen years before I uh, explored Carmel. And in fact, John is the one who brought me into Carmel. There's no question in my mind. I had gone through uh, a series of setbacks in my professional life and requiring me to, uh, not not actually as a result of the setbacks, but I'd chosen to work in, in another state where I was commuting every week. It was a very difficult time in, in mine and my family's life. I was away so much of the time. And whereas in first reading, John, much like your own experience, Deacon Rusty, I put him down and said, I recognize I just didn't understand it. Um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with John. I just knew that I didn't have the theological grounding. And as it turned out, it wasn't so much the theological grounding that was necessary as to experience um, a great deal of uh, difficulty in my um you know, circumstances of my life, whether it was work, family, or what have you. And then I read uh, John again, uh, as I say, 10 to 12 years later, and all of a sudden it opens up for me. And I understood what he was talking about. Um, I didn't have at that time, I was pursuing theological studies, but I didn't have a, a graduate degree and I didn't have sufficient philosophical grounding to understand him. But I could relate, uh, or maybe more to the point, he could relate uh, to me through my life experience. You don't have to read John of the Cross to become a saint. You don't have to take a degree in theology to become a saint. You have to live life and you have to have a desire for an intimate union with the living God. Those are the prerequisites to sainthood. The rest of the work the Holy Spirit will be happy to do with you. In John's case, likewise, it was not a theological text that taught him uh, the meaning, the deeper meaning of life. It was, as Father Channing points out in the beginning of his paper, his parents' own experience. His father was a rather well-to-do uh, businessman working in the, in the textile industry at that time um, and fell in love with a, a beautiful young woman, Catalina, who was of a different class. And at that time in Spain, of course, class meant everything. Uh, and in this case, John's father chose to uh, dispensed with those 
um, those privileges, if you will, and married for love and suffered the consequences. Uh, turned out by his family, Catalina later and their children turned out uh, by the family and they suffered, John suffered a poverty through most of his childhood. In fact, lost a brother uh, largely to uh, malnutrition, something we would be shocked at today. It certainly happens, unfortunately, but we'd be shocked at it. It wasn't quite so uncommon then. John lived this experience. He saw the consequences of love, but he also saw um, the benefit of love, the true loving relationship between his parents. And it had to open that young man's heart and mind as to um, what this word love really meant and, and what was required on occasion uh, to enter into it. And so he took that forward in, in a deeper understanding as he began to read um, in college and in his postgraduate work, uh, the deeper theological works, Thomas Aquinas among them, um, to, to gain an appreciation of how his theology would fit into the human experience. You know, John, and it is said, um, is as much a psychologist, a discipline which did not exist at his time, but he's as much a psychologist, a an analyst, if you will, of the human heart. He seems to have profound wisdom of the workings of the human heart beyond that of most theologians. Most theologians are certainly grounded, even mystical theologians grounded in the theological principles. But John, in a very unique way, lends a deep understanding of the motivations of the human heart. Again, when we talk about the rigor of some of the language we've already um, read, we don't need to reiterate it. What John is emphasizing is not just the importance of ridding ourselves of the passions of the human heart, misdirected passions, but he's trying to emphasize the glory that we've been called to as human persons, the degree of transformation, uh, the, the, the beauty of true love, its deeper meaning. And all of this was born of his own individual human experience and then further grounded by his theological studies. Well, so if love is at the heart of St. John of the Cross, then why do we have nothingness, nada, all this negativity, this, you know, we have dark night of senses, dark night of spirit, all, all of that. Why is that associated with him if love is at the foundation of this all? Well, I, I hate to quote um, a country music song, but I am a country music fan. And the simple answer is in the vernacular, it's because we're looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, that's that's the simple reality of it. We are looking for love, affirmation, confirmation in all of those things that are something less than its perfect manifestation, which is in God. And so, um, as uh, Deacon Rusty said earlier, you know, our attaching ourselves to anything along that way in our ascent will either distract us. That's the worst scenario, uh, or um, it will at the very least, uh, dissuade us from continuing the search. We will not enter into the full expression of love, of glory, uh, short of beatitude, which is a transition for us into eternal glory. We can possess it here, uh, John says, to a great degree in what we call uh, spiritual marriage, divine union, so forth, various terminology. But um, we can enter into that union with God um, even on this material plane, uh, but we have spent so much of our life looking for love in the wrong places, in something that in fact is not the full manifestation of it. And John is, is uh, trying to instruct us on uh, just what it is that we, we are called to. Now, you've mentioned some terms, and so did I, the dark night of sense and spirit, spiritual marriage. So if our listeners are interested in those topics, you can go to our CarmelitConversations.com and look under the episodes, and you'll find a, a lot of podcasts done on St. John the Cross that will talk about those. But So now I'm going to turn my attention to Deacon Baldwin. So we're lousy at loving, right? So how does St. John of the Cross... You know, put it put it together for us here. How does he help us to get over our lousy loving? Well, to springboard off what Deacon Mark was saying, I think he does this in two ways. First, he wants to, through his nada spirituality, if you will, free us from all that keeps us from loving. 
Now, sin is very obvious. That does that. It keeps us from loving because sin is loving ourselves, not God. But also attachments to good things can do this as well. We saw that in this uh, uh, in that map to Mount Carmel. And when we have these inordinate attachments, even to good things, we place that essentially between us and God, and that keeps us from establishing our relationship with him, for deepening that relationship with him. So whether it's something bad or good, whatever obstructs our path to God has to be removed. And so that's why John of the Cross emphasizes that, whether it's our desires, our inordinate appetites, our stuff, our possessions, inside and out, we need to be clean and empty, ready to be filled by him. So that's the first thing. The second thing is John has this spiritual uh, uh, nada, if you will, nothingness, because he wants to seek to free us from the limits of our own human nature. When we try to comprehend, if you will, God through our intellect, well, we're limited. There's no way we can comprehend the infinite God through intellect. And that's not how we love anyway. Our intellect, our memory, our will are all human intellect, human memory, human will, all limited in a very real way. And so what John is trying to do is say, even in this, you need to set this aside because this will limit you in loving God. And I think that the spousal image that we've brought up two or three times uh, uh, thus far is really the key. Uh, relationships are not rules. We don't have checklists with our uh, spouses. Uh, well, honey, you know, I've, uh, I've cleaned the garage. I took you out to dinner. Uh, you know, uh, we haven't fought in a week. So uh, I've made all the check marks. We're having a pretty good relationship, aren't we? It doesn't work like that. And so that's what John's trying to do as well, is to free us from the limits of our human nature, show us that what we're dealing with here is a relationship of love. And that can't be limited by our own abilities, by our intellect and so on. It has to be something that uh, is the fruit of that love. And so um, the relationship is God as the lover and we're the beloved. I like that you bring out relationships, spousal relationship, because we talk about spiritual marriage um, to help un us understand what this union with God is like. And it also talks about what prayer is. Prayer is not a one-way street where we just talk at God or we just talk to God, but it is a back and forth. It's a conversation. And I know Teresa Vavala says, uh, you know, a mental prayer is an intimate conversation with him whom we know loves us. And it should be frequent, right? We, we don't want to stop mm -hmm. praying. So relationship is so uh, foundational to all of this. Um, and then we also know that God, too, is wounded by love. Would, would either of you like to comment on that, how God is wounded by love? Well, that's what's so staggering about St. John of the Cross's spirituality and his insight is that he recognizes that, that God has a deep longing to be united and in union with us. From the spiritual canticle, if we've read this, uh, 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 you'll recognize this particular verse. It says, where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like a stag after wounding me. I called out to you, but you were gone. Now that's us talking, okay? But then the next verse, it says, bridegroom, return, dove. The wounded stag is in sight on the hill, cooled by the breeze of your flight. The wounded stag is God. Now that is just, to me, just mind-blowing that the same wound that we feel, the same yearning that we feel, that wound of love, God is also drawn to us in the same way when we have that spirit of humility, when we have that emptiness, that 
yearns to be united with him. He is drawn to that. Staggering. Well, and I think that there is a maxim that that goes with that, or it's also called the sayings of light and love. I think it's number 105. I'm going to read this quote and let uh, Deacon Danis comment on it for us. And and we are referring to um, John of the Cross's writings. Uh, Deacon Baldwin mentioned spiritual canticle. That's one of the famous writings of St. John of the Cross. So this is from John of the Cross's sayings of light and love. Frequent combing gives the hair more luster and makes it easier to comb. A soul that frequently examines its thoughts, words, and deeds, which are its hair, doing all things for the love of God, will have lustrous hair. Then the spouse will look upon the neck of the bride and thereby be captivated and will be wounded by one of her eyes, that is, by the purity of intention she has in all that she does. If in combing hair one wants it to have luster, one begins from the crown. Okay, I think this is commentary. (laughs) All our works (laughs) must begin from the crown, the love of God, if we wish them to be pure and lustrous. Okay, I'm going to turn that over to you, uh, Deacon Danis. Yeah, I can't um, um, respond to this particular section without bringing in uh, the, the purification of the passions that John talks about. Of course, this is not his own theology, but um, every hope, joy, fear, and sorrow, the human passions. And I'll go back to a phrase that Deacon Baldwin used earlier, and I, I um, I think it's important to reemphasize it even a third time, and that is proper alignment. Every fear, every joy, every sorrow, every hope in the human heart, those passions must be directed to a singular focus. Uh, Kierkegaard said, a purity of heart is to but will one thing. What is it that we will? God's will. To the abandonment of everything. And so when we talk about the purification of love, It does require that everything is directed to the beloved. That's what the spousal relationship is called to be. I am to live for my spouse exclusively to to the uh, dispensing of all others, right? Obviously, I'm not to have affections or admirations or relationship uh, with anybody outside of that spousal relationship. Elevated to the spiritual dimension, this becomes... Uh, even more uh, demanding is probably not an inappropriate word here. But when we talk about the removal of everything uh, that allows for the purification and the luster of of the hair uh, to shine forth, that's what we're talking about, that everything in our life has to be geared towards that one end, the thing that we are called for, the purification in love. And it only is brought about by a transformation in love. And we should also emphasize here, and I know we'll launch into this as we get into the next section, but just to sort of set the stage, we've talked a lot about what we have to do, uh, our detachment, our suffering, we've used that word, our effort on behalf of the beloved. But we should not miss the point in Father Chowney, of course, in his wonderful work does not. And that is that this is actually the result of an infusion of love that comes from God and spurs us on. When we talked earlier about the things that we have to do, the asceticism, if we can introduce that word, asceticism is a word in Greek meaning exercise. You know, when we go to the gym and we seek uh, to improve our physical fitness, there's some effort we have to make. And we have to put in that time. But at some point in the spiritual context, the Lord infuses that. He comes rushing towards us uh, with an infusion of love that draws us into this deeper desire, not yet the full transformation, but he literally increases our desire for him as an act of his will uh, through his Holy Spirit. So we should not, we need not think that all of this work is on our behalf. We have to demonstrate our willingness, our desire to be uh, transformed. But then the Lord begins to do the work in what um, Father Chowning calls an enkindling of love. 
um, the experience of darkness and faith and struggle and poverty begin to be diminished only because the desire increases at that time. So we're we're searching for God, but our hearts need transformation. We need to be freed in order to love. And so we focus on loving Jesus first, then others, and then you. And I like this acronym, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. That gives you joy. <laughs> All right. I, I like those things to help me remember that. Um, but, you know, we are attached to so many things that hold us back, that break us down, that um, help us to stay immobile. But we want to get moving, especially this Lenten season. So Deacon Baldwin, help us out here. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorite uh, sayings that help keep me uh, focused in the right direction is love is our gravity. What we love is our gravity. And so if we love the things of this world, then we'll be drawn to them. We'll be held down to the things of the earth. If we love God above all, then we'll be drawn to him. We'll be drawn to heavenly and spiritual things. And anybody who's talked to me for any length of time about spiritual topics called eventually introduce Dante's comedy, because I just love that uh, epic poem so much. Not that I'm a scholar on it by any means. I just, it's just a fascinating work that has so many spiritual insights in it. And one that uh, uh, that's particularly apropos for this particular talk is Dante is being escorted. He's in paradise. He's being escorted through the nine spheres of heaven by Beatrice. And he's amazed and confused to find that he's left the earth, hasn't really felt that he left the earth, but he finds himself all of a sudden in the heavens and is rising. Now, remember, he's been led through hell. He's been purified in purgatory and is now free of all inordinate attachments to the world. Now, he's being led by Beatrice, who came to help him. And she, for her part, is amazed that he's amazed. She's like, really? You don't understand this? <laughs> she, the, and she explains to him, it's the nature of a thing to seek its end. Now you are, Dante, free from all inordinate attachments, and you're moving naturally towards your end, which is union with God. You should have no more surprise about this then that fire rises or mountain streams flow down to the valley. And that's really what St. John is trying to get across to us, not in so many words, not in the same way that Dante does, but that when we free ourselves of these inordinate attachments, we will naturally rise up to our end because that is what God made us for. He made us that way. There will be no effort, if you will, on our part as we travel towards God, because that's how he made us. The effort, if you want to think about it that way, is us holding ourselves back down on the earth so that doesn't happen with our inordinate attachments. I remember Peter Crave talking about why we're like this, and he very seriously said, well, I honestly think we're insane. I mean, why would we not want <laughs> to have the ultimate good? We have to be crazy. That's the only thing I can uh, I can conclude. Well, John, would, con John would conclude the same thing, by the way, which is why uh, he reads so uh, you know uh, challenging, and and his prescriptions uh, seem so daunting to us. Because I said it before, I didn't use exactly that terminology, Deacon Rusty, but. Uh, I said he's the great psychologist. He was a forerunner in the in the science of psychology, and he realizes he's dealing with people who are, in Peter Graf's words, insane. Uh, <laughs> in fact, he laments at one point uh, uh, his uh, perceived inability to communicate the the depth of this message that he's trying to impart to his uh, his readers. Uh, but he realizes that the degree of confusion and distortion in the human heart um, that he's trying to break through. And that's why sometimes he comes across for us as, as shocking in his prescriptions. Well, let's have one of you comment now on another way of putting this self-giving, which is 
this famous phrase, I lost myself and was found. Deacon Baldwin, would you like to begin there? <laughs> okay, I'll start it out. But I think Deacon Mark will pick it up and, uh, and uh, finish it off in a very handy manner. Um, you know, when it's very much with the self-emptying, to be lost is to be so much in love with Christ that we proclaim his gospel without fear of what others think. That's St. John talking to us here. We're stricken by love. And we forget ourselves and our own security. This self-forgetfulness, this self-giving, it's very much back to that spousal union, the most intimate union that spouses share. We're not concentrating on ourselves. We're concentrating on our lover and wanting to be united with them. And so all thought of self goes away. And we get so taken up with love of God and neighbor that we don't even think about ourselves doing it. It's like being lost in an experience of prayer or in a book or something where we realize that, hey, you know, an hour has just passed. And I didn't think about myself for an hour or wasn't even aware that this was happening. And when that's happened to me, I've always thought, First off, that I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> but but also, what a joy that was. And I, But I did, wasn't thinking about that joy at the time. It was just in retrospect, it was like, yeah, I was resting in God. And time just went away. It's beautiful. And it's all that gift, that grace. It wasn't anything I did. It was something I received from God. And it was a real consoling moment to think that's only a small foretaste of what we have in store for us. I mean, I was saying John of the Cross tells us that it's it's the law of love that that the lover wants to stoop down and give all to the beloved. And so the problem is, as the beloved, we're not receptive. So we have to dispose our souls to receive this great love of God because he wants to fill us with love, overflowing with love. So a lot of what John of the Cross is teaching us is how to dispose our souls to be receptive to the Lord, to respond to his love. And and I know that, um, you know, this happened to John of the Cross with his father because like we said earlier, the love of Catalina um, for her love. He was willing to dispense with everything. Um, and that was his reputation, his honor, his wealth, his comfort, his family, all for his bride. What a great example of love. Um, and, you know, what a beautiful relationship that was. And and now the fruits of it through John of the Cross coming to us. Oh, this is so wonderful. So, Mark, what would you like to add to that? Well, you know, we sometimes think uh, when we read John, I lost myself and was found. Where does he get this stuff? You know, well, those are actually the words of our Lord. He who loses his life for my sake will save it. Right. It's mm -hmm. right out of Scripture. By the way, you can find anything in John that strikes you as shocking. And, and you will find it in Scripture. John was profoundly uh, grounded in scripture as every good Carmelite would be. Um, but this idea of losing ourselves, I think you expressed it well, Francis, in that um, we have a perception of how our life is supposed to work out. Early on, we have aspirations and desires. But science tells us as we get older, people tend to look for stability. We want things to just be okay. We don't necessarily have to be a star ball player anymore or a senator or a great doctor. We just want to be okay. We just want to be stable. We just want our kids to be, you know, uh, college graduates and go on and have careers or whatever it is that we have for them. We just want things to be okay. And what John says is, no, you must accept that you will lose the things that you try to grasp onto too tightly. I have a plan for you. I have mapped out a, a, a wonderful life for you, but you cannot dictate the terms and you, you cannot hold on to elements of it too closely because those are the very things that will keep you tethered to the ground, like the analogy he uses of the bird 
that even a thin thread can keep tethered to the ground. We've got to cut that thread. And what it is, is the expectation of how we wanted our life to work out. And so we've got to lose that. And we've got to dispose ourselves to this transformation. And at times in our life, especially when we suffer, it won't look like what we thought it was supposed to look like. But it's in those moments that God is actually working most aggressively to uh, allow us to dispense with the attachment to our will as opposed to God's will. What is God's will? This complete transformation for ourselves in love. So really, the nada is a path of love, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to go to this last question um, for today's conversation. How may we apply nada to our secular life, to our families, to the raising of our children, to our relationships with our um, parents? Um, because we tend to not want to go too far, like you said, um, Deacon Janus, about loving. Because uh, it takes effort uh, and it, it's sacrificial love. And so it costs. It's it's a costly grace, not a cheap grace. Um, so hopefully we will find this way of St. John the Cross, not so radical, or threatening or disturbing. But now let us take all that you have shared with us and give us a perspective on how it affects you know, relationships with those around us. So Deacon Danes, would you care to address that for us first? Yeah, I'll use John's own um, methodology. And the first, of course, is the active night of the sense. What's the active night of the sense? Active means that we can uh, participate. We must participate. This is simple detachment, detaching ourselves from those things that we are predisposed to. And a very simple way of doing that is look at how you spend your time. How much of it is spent on devices? How much of it is spent in front of televisions? How much of it is spent uh, engaging in conversation that may not be in and of itself productive with various relationships? Look at those things that you can begin to remove from your life. Second will be the Lord's intervention, the passive night of the sense where he will begin to remove the things we did not see. It may be our over-attachment to a title, to a job, to a certain income, to health, uh, to whatever it is. Um, that that we ha- are uh, blind to the fact that we are too attached to. What is our response there? Our response there is to be patient and kind while God does his work. What's patience and kindness? According to St. Paul, it's love. Patient and kind with God's work as he seeks to remove those things that only he could do because either we didn't see them or we didn't have sufficient uh, you know, willingness to remove certain things from our life. So we should pray for that. We should pray that God will remove from our life that which we do not see must be removed. And then we need to respond in patience and kindness and without anxiety. Paul in Philippians says, uh, have no anxiety, but in all things through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We must have peace in our hearts in order to pray effectively. We ask God to remove things. And when he does, we respond in patience and kindness to his action. But don't become anxious about it. Simply pray, leave it in his hands and move on to the next, which we'd be, of course, uh, Deacon Rusty, the dark nights of the spirit and the passive, which is the most demanding. And so we have a great intercessor with St. John of the Cross. So don't forget to ask him for his help. All right, Deacon Baldwin, do you have any thoughts on that for us? Well, I think mine are on the more practical side uh, in regard to this, and that is, you know, be patient with yourself. I mean, you're going to make mistakes on this road. And so often we think, you know, even though we've heard all this, even though we've talked, uh, pray, even though we uh, ask the saints, especially St. John of the Cross in this regard, to intercede for us, Somehow it slips in that I have to do this. I have to be perfect. And we have to be patient with ourselves and realize that, no, it's not me working. I have to let go. And when we make mistakes, when we lose our temper, when we uh, are resentful because God is working to remove attachments that we'd really rather stay attached to, even if we don't see that, uh, uh, aren't cognitively thinking that way. There are things that we're attached to that we're not even aware of. But my point is, is that 
when we make those mistakes, when we lose our temper, that we just lay that all before God and ask for his mercy and in humility say, see God, <laughs> this is what happens when I try and do things without you. Forgive me, help me to get a good start again. Saints are not people who don't make any mistakes. Saints are the people who always get up again after their mistakes. And mm -hmm. so I think we have to realize that and that, that we're not gonna get through this life uh, at any stage of this life without being open to that growth in the spirit. And we know from Teresa Vala, she tells us that God can pull out a lot of good out of our falls and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of wisdom, a lot of, you know, okay, I've got to be more careful. Um, you know, I, I've got to depend on God more on, on me less mm -hmm. <laughs> and on some other practical matters uh, as far as how to apply nada to our secular lives and to our families. You know, it's that, um, instead of exercising my will, um, God's will as, as manifested maybe through others. Um, a very simple thing might be, you know, everybody gets a piece of pie on Sunday during Lent. Maybe you're doing desserts on Sunday only. <laughs> um, and, and you let everyone take the biggest pieces and you take the one that's smashed or it's got this fingerprint in the middle of it, right? <laughs> okay. So these are very, a very simple thing, but it is choosing to let others um do have the best and you being happy to have the least because not because you're a bigger person or you're more holy no because you want to give that satisfaction to the lord you're doing it for god and you don't know how well you love god so the only way you can measure how well you love is how well you love your neighbor so start with your family Start with the people in your close circle and how you are treating them. And maybe instead of uh, in a conversation convincing somebody of, of your own ideas, maybe you just be silent like St. Joseph. <laughs> this is the month of March. I'm thinking of St. Joseph. And maybe it's just be let them have you as a sounding board. So it, it is. You know, just little teeny steps that we can make. And I think the counsels that we read at the beginning of this podcast can can give us some idea. And, of course, you can ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help you. I, I know that one practical thing that um, Matthew Kelly, um, he writes a lot of books and he's really helping people grow in the spiritual life. Um he says, don't ever get up from the table without exercising one way of denying yourself. Like, I'm, I'm not going to put salt on my meat or I'm not going to take that extra pat of butter or I'm going to have water instead of my favorite beverage. Uh, so we start with little things and then we can grow. OK, um, but unless we begin, unless we begin practicing negation. Um, denying self, mortifying stuff, mortifying our desires for, you know, um, the American way is to gather more things. We're, we're very, um, materialistically inclined. So, um, we need to put things in right order and right priority with God first and others and then self. So Jesus, others, you, joy. That'll give you the joy of the Lord. <laughs> All right. Are there any closing comments before we finish with our closing prayer? Well, I just hope that, uh, you know, this talk has given people a deeper desire to read all of St. John of the Cross's works, because there's so much there uh, that some of his lesser known works, like the sayings of light and love and things that are out there and available. Uh, but anything that he's written is well worthy. Uh, of our reading and our taking to contemplation. And, and I, I would uh, also encourage people, uh, it's important that we read <clears throat> the actual texts that John wrote, uh, obviously in English and translation. Uh, but if you need some assistance and guidance, uh, there are very good commentaries and those who've written about John's writings. I, I think most especially of Edith Stein's The Science of the Cross, I think as um, does as, as good a job as any um, in, a, in a somewhat more approachable uh, writing style for opening up what John is talking about. And there are others I would I would always defer 
to the Carmelite authors, sorry, it's my predisposition, uh, <laughs> but it is their discipline. It's their field of study. So uh, I always encourage that. There are others outside that circle, but um, the safe bet is to pick Carmelites. But but read John's writings, then go to the commentaries if it's necessary, uh, and expect that it may take a while, as in the case of Deacon Rusty and myself, 10 years uh, for some time, obviously having it sitting on the shelf. But um, we're still studying it and we're learning things every day because our life is changing every day. And I was recommended um, that begin with a biography of John, even if it's a little one. So you have a sense of who he is and what he's gone through because he suffered a great deal before mm-hmm. coming to his own. And also maybe read his poetry without all the commentary, just read the poems and for those of you who know Spanish, the people who know Spanish say it's best to read it in Spanish. Mm. So um, anyway, uh, both of you have been a blessing today to our listening audience and to me uh, to help flesh out what this nada means, how we can put it into practice, why it is so important, because it'll help us to love God. And that is what we want so that we spend eternity with him. So um, we've come to the close. I want, I want to thank you both for being with me. And I'm going to ask Deacon uh, Danis, would you mind closing us out with a prayer and a blessing? Certainly. Let us begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we seek intimacy with you, help us through the writings of St. John of the Cross to remove any obstacles, any impediments to the flourishing of love within our souls. It is our end, Lord. It is the reason that we were brought into the world to end in you, love itself. Help us, Lord, most especially to desire this, for it is in desiring it that we will quickly overcome the obstacles. We ask the intercession of the Blessed Mother And in this, the month of March, as we have this conversation, most especially, we ask for St. Joseph, patron of our order, protector of our order. We ask, Lord, that we might give ourselves over to an abandonment to your perfect will, and in so doing, find perfect joy. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And our blessing, please. Can, we, can you give us a blessing? Certainly. I, uh, you know what? I'm going to let Deacon Baldwin do that. I'm seeing him. I'm seeing him on the screen. I'm going to let him offer the blessing. Okay, great. Well, you both have a, a share in the final prayer. <laughs> the Lord be with you. And, and with your, your spirit. spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you both. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Carmelite Conversations. We're so happy that you're joining with us and you're wanting to grow in this spiritual life, to grow in love with God. And we look forward to having many more conversations with you in the future. God bless.